Welcome birders, this is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Painter Podcast, where birders talk birding. Migration is upon us, and some things have not changed during this time of COVID isolation. The birds are pouring by. It's been wonderful to see newcomers coming in each week, each day really, and some cool things have happened around here. Charlie Wright is a local birder supreme, uh, one of the few really top-notch local birders I haven't yet had on the podcast. He's been tough to get a date with. But anyway, Charlie has moved back to Tacoma, and this week he spent a couple of mornings overlooking a, a relatively tiny little peninsula we have here on the Commencement Bay called Dunes Peninsula. And uh, I've known about places you could watch migrants pour by in the morning uh, as kind of the end, end part of their evening flight or taking off for a morning flight. Uh, point No Point in Kitsap County is really well known for that. But I never really thought of Dunes Peninsula, so a pretty tiny little peninsula, uh, as being a funnel that would work like that. But Charlie spent, uh, I think, two hours and 40 minutes a couple of days ago in the morning watching the migrants come by Dunes Peninsula from an overlook and counted ridiculous numbers of birds. He had over 900 western tanagers. He had big numbers of pretty much every common passerine and some not so common passerines come by. Just a wonderful, wonderful list. Uh, and I can't wait to talk with him to find out what how did he figure out when to go, the details of doing that? I mean, he's just really good. That's part of it. Uh, but uh, I, I am curious as to whether he had specific uh, reason to go that morning or locked into it, used radar forecasting, just had a hunch, had been seeing more birds piling up the day before. I'm, I don't know, but I can't wait to hear from that. That sounds really cool. It's an, another cool thing to do in the spring around here where you can be socially distant and not travel too far and get some really great birding in. Yesterday, I got out with birding friends for the first time in I don't know how long. Uh, Bruce Labar, Will Brooks, Peter Wimberger, and I did our birdathon and county big day yesterday. Uh, we went in two cars so we wouldn't have too much social contact, tried to stay you know, relatively distant from each other while we were birding. We raced all over Pierce County doing a big day and had a fabulous day. Uh, we started in the mountains, uh, or relatively up by the mountains and up by green water and worked our way down, uh, getting you know, grouse and flycatchers and passerines and a few raptors and very few water birds, but had a fabulous day. And I'll put a link to my uh, report on that uh, on uh, the Bird Banner website under Ed's personal trips part. Uh, and you can check that out if you like. I, it's a birdathon fundraiser. If anybody feels so moved, can contribute to Home Audubon. But it, I think it's a, a fun write-up about a fun day of birding. Uh, and I was so excited, really, to just get out with friends birding for the first time in a while. I've really been missing that social part of birding, and, and we, we had a really good day, and I think it stayed pretty safe doing it. So that was fun. Uh, county birding is a big part of birding for me. I'm in Pierce County, Washington, uh, and I got out with some of the best uh, Pierce County birders yesterday. But my guest today is a county birder supreme. Gary Bletch is from Skagit County, Washington. Skagit County is a about three counties to the north of here, two counties, three counties, I guess, to the north. You have to go through King County, Snohomish County to get to Skagit County, about two hours north of uh, where I live in Tacoma. And it's a place that I go to, as do many birders in the winter especially. 
It's home to many wonderful raptors. You can have a five or even six falcon day. One time uh, there was a Eurasian kestrel there, and people were getting six falcons, Eurasian and American kestrel, uh, merlin, prairie falcon, peregrine falcon, and jeer falcon. Uh, kind of amazing. Of course, the Eurasian kestrel is uh, not something you can plan on most years for sure, but five falcon days are something people, you know, uh, shout out about when they get it up there, and that's not a rare happening. Jeer uh, falcons are just this fabulously gigantic falcon that's super fast, flies down their prey in direct flight, doesn't have to go up high and stoop on them like a peregrine. It's just flat out big, strong, and fast, and says, you sucker, and flies you down and kills you if you're a duck or something. Uh, so uh, I've seen them hunt, and it is really spectacular. Uh, so we get raptors and snow geese. It's, a, it's home to a, a special population of snow geese of several tens of thousands of birds come, and can make the fields just look like snow and the sky look all white when they get up and fly. It's just fabulous. Lots of swans and, you know, really fabulous birding in the winter. But Gary birds there year-round. He's been there for decades, uh, is a really good birder, and birds the county extensively. Gary is also a lister supreme. Uh, he enters more eBird lists than anyone in the state, really more than almost anyone in the world. If you took just his eBird lists from Skagit County, Washington, a little over 27,000 eBird lists over the last, I don't know how many years, uh, and compare that to the eBirders who have submitted the most eBird lists in the whole world. I think his Skagit County list would be in the top 20 for number of eBird lists worldwide for any eBirder. That's pretty unbelievable. Uh, and, it, and he's got the biggest county list in Skagit County I, to my knowledge, he has more species found in Skagit County than any other Washington birder has in any county in Washington. There's 325 species in Skagit County, Washington, which is just a mind-blowing number. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, Skagit is a, a county with a good list. They have the fourth biggest uh, list on eBird of, of uh, species, excuse me, fourth biggest list on Washington bird of the listing website for Washington birders as part of the WASP website and a, a really cool whole nother story, but the Washington bird is a great resource. Uh, but uh, it's the county with the fourth biggest county list in Washington behind Grace Harbor, King County, and Clallam County. Uh, but still, to have 325 species in your home county in Washington is just unheard of. So that's fabulous. And he's also a funny guy, a good storyteller, and was a terrific guest today. So join me in welcoming Gary Blutch to the Bird Banter Podcast, episode number 59. Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being a guest today. Oh, you're very welcome. The pleasure is mine, Ed. Gary, I have uh, only met you a couple of times, and it's always been when I've been birding up near Skagit, and you are a Skagit birder. My goodness. Uh, you get out a lot. Yeah, now, especially I've retired. So, uh, this is what I do. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way a little bit. I'm retired myself, and uh, the days uh, tend to fill themselves up with a local birding unless there's something else planned. Well, of course, now with this terrible plague we're experiencing, the local birding reigns supreme. It does. It does for sure. Uh, Gary, I, I perused around eBird a little bit, and I saw that you are very avid about eBirding. Uh, just to put that in perspective, uh, you have submitted over 26,000 eBird lists from Skagit County. That is an extraordinary number. 
yes, it is. It is a rather large number, but, uh, you know, it's nice to have the data there where one can play with it. It is. You know, if I were if I were uh, the person from Cornell who ran eBird, uh, I would give you a little badge of honor. You are exactly the person that, that you eBird just the way they would like it done. You know, you keep your areas small, you submit different lists for different areas. Uh, so that is, you know, that's what they ask us to do. And some of us are really good about that. And some of us are really bad about that and just kind of go birding all day and make one list. I don't do that. But, uh, you know, and, and most of us are somewhere in between. But you are on the really good birder uh, end of the eBirds uh, uh, rankings. I keep expecting a gift certificate for a free sandwich or something from eBird. <laughs> Well, they should at least send you a T-shirt or a badge or something. Well, you know, uh, I balked at it for a long time because I had to make some slight changes in the way I kept my records, but I got used to it. Yeah, with the with the way the phone apps work, boy, it makes it incredibly handy. I have to say, I I am a dinosaur. I put everything in a paper notebook. And then I go home and I put it into Abacus, which is a far, far better, much it is, easier. I used Abacus for years. That's a great app, but I, I have to say I haven't used it since I started using eBird. Well, if you want to do a report, um, Abacus is much better for reporting. So I use both. But uh, the only time I do an eBird on a, on a phone app, if I find something really rare, I'll put it in there immediately just so people can have a chance to see it. Sure. That is really making even more work of it, Gary. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I tend to think not. I, Abacus is probably one-fifth uh, the effort of, of, uh, because it's typing, and I'm a pretty fast typist, whereas oh, yes. eBird is scrolling, and you have your fat finger trying to fit in a little tiny box. So uh, when you do a lot of birding, it's faster with Abacus, if you don't mind waiting till you get home. Yeah, good for you. Uh, the listeners, I'm going to put this in a little bit of perspective. Uh, there are there are 15 birders in the entire world who have submitted as many eBird checklists as Gary has submitted in Pierce, in Skagit County. <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty unbelievable. That's a fun number. <laughs> That is a fun number. Skagit County is a great county, though. Uh, I I've you know I have terrific memories of birding Skagit County. When I first started birding, uh, I came from the East Coast and I birded just a couple of years and I moved out here. And Ken Brown, one of my really good birding buddies, uh, teach, taught for 30 some years a birding class through the local Audubon. And one of his field trips was to Skagit County every, every winter. Uh, and I remember the first trip up there in the winter, it was like, oh my goodness. So many raptors, just a fabulous place to go in the winter. Yeah, it's fabulous just about all year round. I'm from back I'm from back east also and a friend of mine were comparing notes. He lives in Essex County, Massachusetts and you know, they have a bigger list than Skagit County and uh, he has a bigger year list every year than I do, but he says it's basically May <laughs> and then and then the rest of the year. And here we have, have migration yeah, we have one bad month, and that's July, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, or so in July, you go to the mountains. Yeah, July. <laughs> you go, what I like to say is in July, you just uh, go up higher, and you've set the calendar back a few months. 
exactly. It is it is amazing how the birding year uh, it, it it's so predictable and so wonderful that you always there's always somewhere you can go literally every day of the year and have some great birding in Washington. It's just a great place to be a birder. And you know, I think very often the more miserable the weather, the better the birding. It, you know, sometimes it seems that way. I don't know if it's just because the seasons where there's miserable weather are the seasons where the really good birding happens, or if it's really because of those days, I'm not sure. Well, this time of year, to, for example, today we have hail and rain and lightning, and I got 32 species on my yard list today. And during the nice weather over the past few days before that, it was 25. Yeah, I think yeah, I think uh, bad weather holds them down and drives them down sometimes, especially in migration. Exactly. So, Gary, tell me about some of your favorite uh, places in Skagit. Skagit County, to me, uh, the Skagit Flats are Skagit County to me, pretty much same as Skagit Flats. I mean, that's I've been a few other places, but that's pretty much all I know very well about Skagit birding. Oh my goodness, there's so many. Um literally scores of wonderful, wonderful places. Um, you know, the, the place that I call the game range, um, people started calling it Wiley Slough the last few years. Right. Of course, that's the jewel in the crown. Um, on Samish Flats, you have the West 90, which when there's no guns going off is a wonderful place. Mm -hmm. uh, I love March Point. I just love that place. Um, uh, takes a little patience to bird it sometimes. And then... Uh, I think a March Point is pretty much a sea watch. Is that what you think of it as? Well, you know, there are a couple of really good little passerine spots. You have to dig them out. Uh, uh, but there are some really nice little patches for songbirds, too. Okay. And then, of course, you have the... There's a divide. You have downriver and upriver. And for... Mm -hmm. The peculiar thing that happened with me is I got my first teaching job in concrete. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah, so I, I started living upriver, and the local birders were kind of excited. And they were saying, oh, we finally have a birder who lives upriver. So, you know, I do a lot of birding up here. where Now I live by Lyman, but still upper Skagit. So uh, we have many wonderful places up here, some of which are very underburdened, such as... Uh, Nichols Bar, or um, the uh, the mouth of a Labatt Creek, or South Cascade Road, uh, on and on. For for listeners who don't know where concrete is, uh, if you and tell me if I'm wrong, Gary, but as you drive across the North Cascades Highway, Highway 20, you go through a lot of little towns, and then you come to a town called Concrete. It's maybe what 25 miles up the road there, or something like that. And uh, it, do I remember correctly? There are some big concrete structures there in that town. Yes, there are two enormous silos. That's that what used, I remember. It used to be, well, I think they built those big dams on the Columbia with the concrete that was made there. Mm. Uh, but those places went out of business in the early 70s. And now it's kind of a moribund place, to tell you the truth. But, but it's a good place for birding. It is. There are some really good spots for repairing, you know, east Eastern bird type repairing things around there. Isn't that, aren't the places to get Red Star and Red Eyed Vireo and things like that around that area? It starts, yeah, it starts getting that way around concrete. 
and then um, Marble Mount is the uh, the capital for that sort of stuff. Right, and that's just what a little bit little bit farther east on Highway Twenty, isn't it? Well, by by mileage, yes, but culturally, as you go up the river, you are going into the boonies. I I, I can appreciate that. Yeah, concrete's the last place with any reasonable uh, grocery stores or uh, places like that. And then once you go farther east from there, you don't get to a, a good-sized town for 100 miles. Yeah. Last fall, I drove over the mountain out that way, and I loved getting to Washington Pass. I had never really birded Washington Pass before. And, oh, what a beautiful place. Yeah, it, it's it's weird this year we would be there now, you know, the pass would be open, but of course, right. The workers can't go up there and clear the highway because of health concerns. So we're, we're, we're kind of stuck without our Clark's nutcrackers for the time being. <laughs> oh, poor baby. You'll have to live a month or two without your Clark's nutcracker on your body <laughs> list. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we're feeling the same way here. Of course, this uh, this uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic has put a big clink in everybody's plans. Certainly, travel plans. But even you know, you feel a little guilty about driving too much around even your own county. Yeah, I I, I got over it in a hurry. I mean, because I I will go to ten places and I will see between zero and five other human beings where I where I'm birding. So it's. There's nobody around up there. Yeah, I, I don't think the risk is is the concern at all. It's about spreading. I mean, I do the same. I go to JBLM or Chambers Creek, uh, Swan Creek County Park, or places that you can you can easily stay 100 yards from the nearest person if you can see another person. Uh, so it's, it's pretty easy. Yeah, and I like to think that by purchasing the gasoline, at least I'm helping the mom and pop gas station owner to stay in business during this time. Exactly. That's a positive way to think about it. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. So Gary, uh, tell me some of the best birds, some of the best birds you've uh, found in uh, Skagit County. I have to say, I've found some really good ones. I, I got my lifer jeer in Skagit County in 1992. Uh, and I was on one of Ken's, uh, actually, I think I went up with just Ken, uh, but uh, it, it's memorable because it was on the East 90, you know, next to, you mentioned the West 90, at least I think the East 90 is that adjacent area. Uh, and there was a jeer perched on a post and there was a huge flooded field with an, uh, some posts on the other end of the flooded field. And this jeer would perch on one of the posts and there were teal and other, other ducks out in that water. And it would, it would just go howling across that water, you know, four feet off the water. All these ducks are trying to stay underwater. They, Forced themselves under the water, and and uh, and it took him about four passes before one of them just couldn't hold his breath anymore and popped up, and he was he was the jeer's lunch. So it was a, just a wonderful jeer experience. Uh, and uh, I had the wood sandpiper up there, and the Eurasian kestrel, uh, tulips, and snow geese. It's, it's boy, good memories. What are some of your better uh, birding story memories from there, Gary? Oh my goodness, the the jeer falcon is an embarrassing story for me because. Um, my wife was about to give birth and I went out to see my lifer, Jeer Falcon, while she was in the hospital because it was a very protracted labor. <laughs> oh my goodness. That, I, I think we got to cut this off right here, Gary. I think that is. <laughs> well, two, two years later, our third and final child uh, also was born in December 
and I went off and, and saw my lifer orchard Oriole also on the Samish Flats while she was in labor that time. <laughs> oh, you just got to gotta make some more babies, Gary. That's it to get these hot birds. <laughs> I, that's a rather expensive way to, to get life birds. <laughs> I'll be a little late, for, a little late in life for that now too. Yeah, yeah, it is. But oh my <laughs> goodness, uh, wonderful, wonderful birding up here. And um, you know, it's funny. Uh, in my early time in concrete, I found a veery up there. Ooh. And as far as I know, that species has not been recorded since that day. Wow. But I was so new to the area. My wife and I were strolling around by the river in an area called the Crowfoot, and we found this veery. And then I went back the next day and I said, gee, I wonder what the status of the veery is here. And I looked it up in a book and I went, oh, no, this is a really rare bird over here. I called my friends and they all ran up to see it, but it was gone. Yeah, bummer. Bummer. Well, you win a few and you lose a few. Yeah, I I have to say the same. I had one of my early trips. I was with, just with my wife, and we were you know not that accomplished birders, but we were you know knew a little bit. And we had just moved out from the East Coast, where red poles were feeder birds. You know, common red poles were just very common birds. Uh, and it's in the winter, and we had a small flock of red poles out on the what was the game range at the time. Back in the days when you could go out on the game range before they made it into that big slough, and you can't really walk out there anymore. Sure. Uh, and we had a small flock of, of red poles there. And I dutifully put it in my, I think I was, that was before I was using Avisys. I was using the, the Mac version of that. Uh, I can't even remember what it was called now, the I something or other, I suspect. Uh, but I had it in my notes and I can remember clear as day seeing those birds and being, you know, no question in my mind what we were seeing. And, and uh, a few years later, when I learned how hard it is to find a red pole on the West side, I was like, Ooh, ooh that was really good. <laughs> Oh, you know, it's funny, though, when the red poles have their little eruptions, then it's a little more reasonable. It is. Yeah, it was probably one of those years. I don't even know. Uh, but, uh, Gary, so you've birded Skagit. I looked on eBirds. You've gotten around the world a bit birding, too. You've got a big world list. Where have you traveled to? Well, you know, that really started in 98. We, uh, we took, uh, I took a teaching position in Saudi Arabia, and my Ooh. wife... My wife was the school nurse. Our kids went to school there for four years. And um, for most Westerners, Saudi Arabia is a very unpleasant place to live. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a fabulous place for birding um, with certain uh, caveats. Uh, but um, anyway, one escapes Saudi Arabia every time there's a vacation. And we just said, wow, we're here basically in the, the other side of the world. We, every year when we go home, we'll stop off in Europe or we'll visit Asia or Africa or places like that. And so um, we took great advantage of that for, for those four years. And then I got the bug and started taking a trip every year. Oh, good for you. So what are some of your uh, world favorite spots? Well, the little patch I used to bird in Saudi, uh, I used to call it the wastewater oasis. <laughs> uh, they used to truck the, the gray water there and dump it in the desert, and they created an artificial oasis there. Uh, I used to love birding there. Uh, I had the place to myself, and uh, I used to find quite a few vagrants there from, uh, 
from Europe and Central Asia that would find their way to the yeah, Red Sea. Coast. Did. Yeah, it was a wonderful place to birth. Uh, and then, uh, oh, I, I, I had a lovely trip to Mongolia a few years ago. That was oh um, not the big species list, but uh, large numbers of wonderful birds, such as steppe eagles mm. and uh, bar-headed geese. And, uh, oh, we saw lots of uh, uh, great bustards and exotic oh, things yeah. like that there. You brought up a couple species I, I, that are dear to my heart. I ju- I'm, I'm working my way painfully slowly through the Cornell uh, bird biology course, the online uh, ornithology course. I've never taken any ornithology courses, really. Uh, but bar-headed goose is famous for flying over the Himalayas. They have special a special variant of hemoglobin and all sorts of uh, special adaptations of a birds to be able to extract the oxygen at 30,000 feet as they fly over the fly over Mount Everest. Uh, and uh, when I, when I visited England, uh, there's a fellow in England who is reintroducing great bustards uh, to Great Britain. Uh, they were, you know, they were native there uh, until they were hunted to extinction or extirpation, I guess, in that area. Uh, and he's uh, reintroducing them to the to the Great Britain. So I uh, got to see great bustards, not listable great bustards, but great bustards here. So they are a spectacular bird. They're just as you've seen them, obviously. They're gigantic birds, you know, like an ostrich almost, but they can fly. I can tell you my funny story about my life for great bustard was in Hungary, of all places. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I had a book by John Gooders. I think it's called Where to Find Birds in Eastern Europe or something like that. And I had my little book and I was driving my rent-a-car around for uh, two days. I, I left my wife and kids in uh, a small town and rented a car to go birding. And, and um, I kept looking at all these places that were known great bustard spots and striking out. And I... I was driving around the countryside and I saw this green Jeep with a, an insignia on the door of a, of a picture of a bird or a deer or something. And I saw these two men in, in camo and I realized they were rangers. So I drove up to them and I hailed them and I just walked right up to them and I said, Otis Tarda. And they looked at me and then I said, Otis Tarda. And that's the scientific name of the great buster. Oh, and yes. Said, oh, Otis Otis Tarda, Otis Tarda. Well, they didn't speak any of the languages I speak, and I didn't speak Magyar, but I unfolded the map and I pointed to these places where I thought the great bustard was, and they they vehemently shook their hands in a negative, and they pointed to this one spot on the map, and they said, Otis Tarda, <laughs> Otis Tarda. So I said, okay, thank you. I think, it, I, think I did know how to say thank you in Magyar at that time. But anyway, I jumped in the car and I went to the place they indicated. And I looked around and I thought, well, all I see here are sheep, white <laughs> sheep. Well, all of a sudden, the sheep stood up on two legs and those fluffy white sheep were actually the tail feathers of the bustards. Yeah, I can appreciate that. They are a big, big, unbird-like bird. Well, if you think that the birds descended from dinosaurs, they are quite dinosaur-like. Very cool. Gary, you moved out here from the East Coast. Where did you live in the East? I come from a little town in New York State called New City, which is 
the southernmost part of New York that lies on the west side of the Hudson, just over the border from Jersey. Okay. And uh, I started birding as a high school kid there, but I had no automobile. I just, I didn't even have a driver's license. I had a 10-speed bike. So, you know, I would just bicycle around Rockland County and bird there. Cool. I spent four years at West Point at the military academy, not as a student, as a family doctor there after my residency. So I know that area a little bit. Oh, you know, uh, I dipped on the Cerulean Warbler up there in West Point. <laughs> oh. They were supposed to breed in the woods around there, but I could never find them. I never had one there, that's for sure. <laughs> there were some really good places to bird at West Point, but I don't remember a Cerulean. Pretty sure I don't. No, I got my life Cerulean in, uh, in migration in Texas, so. I think the place where the Ceruleans were in those days was a uh, there's a hill called Papalopan Torn, and hmm. they were they were supposedly breeding in the oaks in the valleys below Papalopan Torn, but I never could find them. I, re I remember Mine Torn Road, but I don't remember Papalopan Torn. So it's the same. Yeah, the mine is on Papalopan Torn. Yeah. Okay, so I birded that area quite a bit, but I don't remember remember a Cerulean warbler. But at that point, I was really really a novice birder. My wife got me into birding. I had, I never birded until I was 30 or so. And she was a birder and I didn't even know it uh, when we got married really, but she got me into birding. And uh, we so we got out a lot, but neither of us were very skilled and had, had barely met another birder anywhere. So uh, we birds kind of had to hit us in the head to, to find them at that point. I have to tell you how I met my wife. It was through birding. Really? I went to this tavern where my friend was the bartender he was putting himself through law school tending bar mm -hmm. and my money was no good there he would just give me a pint for free and uh, there was one stool open so i sat down and there was this pretty young girl sitting there fancy and, that yes and she ordered a tequila mockingbird and i said Here's my pickup line. I said, ah, t Northern Mockingbird, Mimus polyglottos. <laughs> she said, oh, you're a birder. And we went birding the next day. We've been together ever Very since. Nice. So she's a birder too. She was quite a birder in those days, but she has put her binoculars away, I'm afraid to say. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, she still looks out the window and... Uh, she was very excited when we had the band-tailed pigeons at the feeder because they're so beautiful. They are. But yeah, she's, uh, she's got her own hobbies now. And, uh, and we, we, have a, we have kind of a, a treaty where, you know, I, I let her do her things and she lets me do my thing. <laughs> well, it's hard to beat that. Hard to beat that. You own, you have your independence, and and yet she can still talk the language. She understands the. You know, it's not like a foreign language like it is when we talk to some people. Exactly. Uh, do you did you did this uh, COVID uh, knock any big trips out for you? Was your year trip for the year planned this spring, or did you have some other time planned? Oh my goodness! So I am a retired teacher, mm -hmm. and this is my first year of retirement. Oh, good. And all, all of these years, I have bemoaned the fact that your two busiest times of year happen to be spring and fall migration. Yeah. So I had this grand trip. So I was going to drive through the Great Basin 
then head to the coast, visit my grandson in California, meet mm -hmm. my wife down there. Then she and I were going to drive to Southeast Arizona and meet some friends there who are birders. Right. And then I was going to say goodbye to my wife and I was going to drive to New York State for my 40th college reunion. Ooh. And I was going to look for Swainson's Warbler on the way, which I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And I had a whole it's a tough trip. One. Oh, it's a toughie. But then I was going to go to um, my college reunion, then go to Western New York, where my wife's hometown is, and do some springtime birding there, and then head back the northern tier. And of course, the entire trip is scrubbed. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. That's yeah. I had uh, I had a trip planned to my daughter lives in Costa Rica, and I was going to go visit her. And then I had an extension of that. I was going to go to Peru for uh, for a little birding and then on a, a rotary trip, a rotary friendship exchange there. And of course, all of that got canceled too. But hey, you know, the birds uh, will survive this. And if we all survive it, then we'll get another chance another day. I am knocking on wood as you say that. Yes. Good. Uh, so Gary, uh, do you have uh, do you have any... Uh, any other uh, favorite spots? You mentioned the upriver places in Skagit. Are there high elevation places in Skagit? Skagit has a big county list. It's like the third or fourth out of the 39 Washington states in terms of number of species that have been seen in the county, almost 400 species in the county, I think. Uh, and uh, so there's, there've got to be some mountains or some, some elevation there. Yes. Oh yes. And um, I must admit, I've, I've turned a bit of a corner. I'm not as, as energetic a hiker as I was. Um, but um, that's okay because the trail from Rainy Pass to Cutthroat Pass is fantastic. And I usually do that once or twice a year. Last year, my friend and I went up Easy Pass, which is not well named. But um, that is surprisingly not as good, even though it's it's probably higher. It's a much harder hike, and it's not as good birding. Um, and I I used to go up Cascade Pass uh, once or twice a year, or um, Sibley Pass is good for raptor migration in September. Um, those are the main ones that I like to go to. So you can definitely those are what five, six, seven thousand feet sort of things. I do know that all of those places are above. The 1500 meter mark, because um, say the, the late and very dearly missed Ken Knittle started this idea of keeping track of your 1500 meter list. Oh, okay. And so um, uh, I, I used to make sure that these spots I was visiting were all over 1500 meters, which they are. Um, but I mean, there are some other places in the county that are truly alpine that are just i think they're beyond my my capabilities these days i'm afraid to say skagit is a wonderful county it's a pretty big county it has the skagit river of course which brings obviously the eagle spectacle every winter uh but it has uh, it has it's you know has coastal areas uh, uh puget sound coastal areas and it has uh has uh, big uh agricultural areas and it has montane areas so it's it's got got all the things it takes to have a big county list exactly and, and you know for years my wife and i have talked about moving to her hometown when we retired but um 
when I go there and I go birding, I just go, I just spent all day finding the same number of species that I would have found in my yard before getting in the car to go birding. So, so where, was, where would her hometown be, uh, Gary? Heidi is from the hometown of Roger Tory Peterson, which is Jamestown, New York. Okay. And it's a lovely little town. It's unfortunately, it's, um, it's fallen upon hard times economically because the furniture business has basically shriveled up and gone away from there. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty place. It's a nice place to go, but uh, it just doesn't have the variety that we enjoy here. Yeah, I grew up in Maine, and uh, economically, the whole state almost is what you described, one one uh, almost extinct business or another in pretty much every small town. But uh, I tell people that Maine is a wonderful place to visit. <laughs> it's just not a place I want to live anymore. I went there when I was four years old. I will, never, I will never forget it. And I didn't come back there until last summer. So two days after I retired, the last day of school was done. I flew out to Massachusetts, birded a little there with my buddy. And he's a member of the renowned Brookline Bird Club. Oh, yes. And they have their annual trip to Rangeley, Maine. And he finagled a spot on that for me, which is very fortunate for me. So Very nice. Yeah, I had a wonderful time, and I got to see my first yellow-bellied flycatcher up mm -hmm. there in Maine. And uh, we heard the uh, the Bicknell's thrush, but we never actually saw the bird. But we we had a wonderful trip. Yeah, I I got I I grew up there, but I wasn't a birder. And a couple of years ago, I went back uh, and took uh, yeah flew to. I usually when I go back to Maine, I fly to Boston because it's honestly easier to fly to Boston nonstop and drive to Maine than it is to go through the two or three flight changes you need to take to fly to closer in Maine. Uh, and so I, I timed the trip for that first week of June when you can get Bicknell's on the on the highway up Mount Washington. Uh, and uh, and uh, so flew to flew to Boston, drove up to uh, whatever the little town there is at the base of Mount Washington, stayed overnight, got up early in the morning and uh, went and and the, the store. I didn't realize this at the time, but uh, to to hire one of these trips is fifty dollars. So pretty affordable. Uh, you get there at six in the morning. They don't open the road until eight. Uh, so you get there at six in the morning, uh, naturalist meets you, uh, you get in a van, you drive up the, the road, you get great looks at Picknell's. I got my lifer yellow belly flycatcher there also. Just a beautiful morning, fabulous experience. But the funny thing about that trip is I, I showed up and there were five, I think there were eight of us on the trip and seven people were there like way early and about one minute to six, this car comes zipping in and, and, and. Mike, Michael Charest pops out from Tacoma oh. <laughs> as, the, as the last person on the track. I go, Michael, what are you doing here? He says, Ed, what are you doing here? <laughs> he was on a business trip over there, and he he always combines a little birding with his business trips. And uh, and so we met, uh, met there. It's kind of funny. But, I wish I had kept my old field notebooks. I've lost, oh, my goodness, uh, 25 years worth of birding notes are gone. But uh, I, climbed, I climbed that mountain when I was in college and I know I saw some birds up there, but I didn't write them down. I, well, they weren't big now thrush back then. I don't think were they, it's only been split for less, less time than that. I, I, I think that was in October. So there certainly weren't there then, but uh, anyway, oh. yeah, yeah. Those, those were, that's a beautiful, beautiful place. I, I'd like to go back there again someday. 
It is a beautiful place. Well, you know what I learned after I spent the $50 on, on the naturalist trip up before the traffic? It costs the toll to go up that road is $38 just huh. to drive up in the daytime. Wow. <laughs> so it hardly costs more to get a, a guided trip up the mountain for two hours in the morning before the traffic begins than it does to drive up later. That's one of the best buys in birding, I would say. I thought that I essentially it was a $12 for a special trip to get up early before the traffic and have a have a guide uh, uh, take you to exactly the right spots to see the birds. It was a very, very uh, uh, bargain basement sort of thing. I thought it was great. Well, I'll have to do that someday. Yeah, it's definitely worth the worth the uh, the bother. Uh, Gary, uh, do you have any other uh, stories that uh, that that you'd like to share? Oh my goodness, I have too many of them, and I'm afraid I'm sort of drawing a blank here right now. That's just fine. That is just fine. Gary, I appreciate you being on today with me. It's been fun talking to you and kind of getting a little bit of the story between of you know that you're. Uh, you know, legend is maybe an exaggeration, but you are certainly, uh, everybody knows Gary Blatch is the, the birder from Skagit County. I mean, you have the top, uh, top list for Skagit County and, uh, by species and, uh, you know, by checklists, uh, nobody's within, you know, probably an order of magnitude of you, I'm guessing, uh, on eBird, but it's really nice talking to you. I appreciate it. Uh, Gary, is there anything else you wanted to say before we uh, call it a day? Well, uh, just have good fun birding, stay safe, everybody. And we're looking forward to what Warren G. Harding called the return to normalcy. Yeah, or the new normalcy, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Indeed. Great. Thanks so much for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. Stay safe. And uh, uh, you'll get that Clark's Nutcracker sooner or later this year. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. Ciao. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast, episode number 59 with Gary Blatch. If you didn't get the idea, county birding is a big deal to a lot of birders these days, especially during this pandemic where getting far from home is difficult. Birding around your home, essentially in your home county in the, in the United States, is a big deal. And with the advent of eBird in the last decade or so, uh, keeping track of your list by county is a piece of cake. If you just enter your list where you found it, eBird automatically keeps track of your county lists, makes them public where other people can see them, and increases the fun of the game of birding. Uh, the little competition between birders, the sharing of information between birders, it's all become easier than ever. Uh, and so county birding adds a new element for me. I really wasn't much of a county birder at all until the last several years, but I've really fallen into the trap, fallen into the dark side, as some would say, uh, of keeping track of my county lists. I've started getting around Washington, and now I've, I have an eBird list in every all of the 39 counties in Washington. Uh, Ken Brown and a couple of other buddies and I, I made a, a winter trip down to the southeast corner of Washington to catch, uh, I think it was Garfield and a Soton and Columbia County. You got eBird lists in each of those counties to fill up my state. An eBird on your profile on eBird, uh, if you don't have any sightings in a given area, it shows up as gray. And so uh, now my whole Washington uh, County uh, profile picture on eBird has color. 
no more gray counties. So I'm no longer a, a birder with no birds in any of the Washington counties. So that that's kind of just a fun challenge to myself to get around and uh, make a big deal out of county birding. It's fun. Uh, in Washington, we have a website. It was mentioned on the podcast, uh, Washington Birder. Uh, Washington Birder is a website uh, that uh, Ken Knittle, uh mentioned also by Gary on the podcast, was instrumental in getting started, uh, and other, other uh, people are instrumental in, in making that uh, exist and stay current. Uh, but it's a wonderful tool for Washington Birders. It's a place to keep records, and they have all sorts of uh, ways. There's a giant spreadsheet on that. If you enter your sightings for each county, it will keep track of them by east side and west side. There's a place for a Mount Rainier National Park list, an over 1,500 meters list, uh, a pelagic offshore list. It, just about any kind of splicing and dicing of your lists you want to make, that uh, website will help keep track of it and you can record your list. It also is where birders submit their big days for each county and for the state. Uh, and all sorts of record-keeping aspects of birding in Washington. Really great resource for Washington birders. And I encourage uh, Washington birders to check it out. Washington Birder is the, the website. I'll put a link to that in the podcast notes. So anyway, very fun to talk to Gary today. It's been enjoyable to be a part of the spring migration once again. Uh, and so stay safe, stay local. Until next time, good birding. Good day.